This is Existential, the podcast that reminds us that we're human first before we're anything else. And from that place, we can hear each other's stories and experiences as we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Well, hello there, folks. Uh, this is Corey, and today I have a guest I've really been looking forward to talking to. Her name is Tina Strawn, and she has been a health and fitness professional, an activist. Uh, she is the co-host of the Speaking of Racism podcast, um, and just someone that I have found from afar really, really interesting and fascinating. And so I wanted you guys to get to know her and hear her story. So Tina, why don't you say hey to everybody? Hi, everyone. Thank you, Corey, for having me. I um, mean, it's it's my honor. I'm I'm really, 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 really excited to get into this conversation. So I'm actually looking at your bio right now, and under your name it says, when we change our relationship to truth, we also change our relationship to lies. Is that is that your quote? That is, I yes. Okay, so when I read it, I thought, okay, this this quote, it seems like it it would emerge it would have emerged out of some significant life experience. So could you speak to like where the quote came from, what it means to you, how it, and maybe even how it has spoken to other folks who have heard it? Absolutely. Uh, I began leading anti-racism and yoga trips to Montgomery. And so basically that means that I take people to the lynching memorial, which is also mm. known as the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, mm. and the Legacy Museum from Enslavement to Mass Incarceration. And those are both projects of Brian Stevenson's work um, and the Equal Justice Initiative. And we take this trip, it's a three-day weekend, where we visit the memorial and the museum um, and we utilize some of the practices and philosophies of yoga as tools to dismantle racism. Oh, and dang. when I created those trips in 2018, they were called Satya Yoga Trips. And Satya is a Sanskrit word for truthfulness, for truth. Mm. So that is the journey that I began on um, just with my uh, social and racial justice, um, advocacy and, and my work doing, uh, anti-racism education and facilitating, I was on this quest for truth, hungry for truth. Um, I actually remember January, 2019, setting my intention for the year to be this unapologetic truth seeker and truth teller. So I basically wow. had this obsession all, all year, um, uh, to find truth and to speak truth and to speak truth to power. And that really underlined everything that I did last year, um, and in particular with these trips that I lead. So as I began to continue my own learning and study with regards to the truth of our nation's history of, of racial terror and violence, Mm -hmm. And the truth of how that hasn't ended, it has simply um, morphed into different 
parts of our society. Um, you know, the truth is that racism is alive and well. We, we still live in a society of white supremacy. Uh, Brian Stevenson says slavery didn't end, it just evolved. Right, As I yeah. was seeking uh, these truths, um, it, it just then started to become very apparent. And I actually, Corey, would have, I, I have reactions because I've been so committed to and focused on what is the truth uh, compared to what we want to believe, compared to the things that we have, uh, compared to the agreements that we've made as members of the society and the ways that we've been complicit with some of the lies. But wow. now, because I'm so committed to truth, that I also have noticed that I have this reaction to lies. So that's wow. <laughs> where wow. the quote came from. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'll be honest, that quote is very new. Like I, I, I really just, it's something that I said in conversation with my wife really only a few months ago. Uh, so I included it as my, as part of my email signature and I have it now on my website. I don't really think, uh, anyone has read it yet <laughs> I don't, or, or noticed it. So you're the first person to even ask about it. So I have no idea if anybody, how anyone feels about that quote, but that's, that's the story behind it. Oh my God. I love, love, love that story. I love how, how many things are incorporated in it. Well, tell me again that the, the word that you said um, at the beginning, when you talked about, what is that sure. word? Sure. The word is, it's Satya. It's spelled S-A-T-Y-A. And Satya is, so now I'm going to go into kind of my yoga teacher mode a little bit. Please, um, please do. And yeah. by the way, so I'm glad you spelled that out because I'm sure there are listeners who are going to get that tattooed in some foreign language on their neck or oh, something. please or, don't. Or like <laughs> on the inside of their arm. I can just see a bunch of people going right now to their, their tattoo design artist saying, can you design a cool way for me to get that tattooed on me? I, I might do it myself, actually. I, lo I love that work. Well, and, and to be honest, it's a, it's a great word. It's a beautiful word. It comes from a, a sacred language, the, the Sanskrit language, which has its roots in, in Hinduism um, and mm. is a part of the, um, some Indian tradition. So it's um, ironic that you even said what you just said as far as it, people might see it as a cool thing to go get tattooed um, because mm -hmm. I actually saw it as a cool thing to name my trips and mm. I, I will tell you, Corey, that I, this year, have changed the name of my trips. And mm. the reason that I have is because I, um, I, I have been doing a lot of learning and listening to mm. South Asian and Desi leaders and voices in the yoga community. Um, mm. I think of one of my teachers, uh, someone that I respect tremendously and listen to and learn from, uh, Susanna Barkataki. Um, and she teaches a, a tremendous amount about decolonizing yoga. Um, and she talks about wow. cultural appropriation in yoga. So all of that to say, as I was just doing some of my own self-reflection, you know, doing my own personal work while I'm in the work, right? Because I think that's important, especially as teachers, that we remain students and we remain open uh, yeah. and learning. So I was really convicted by this message of, uh, of how can I honor the roots of yoga while also being um, true to myself and, and the fact that I culturally do not have a relationship to the Sanskrit language 
Therefore, mm. I made a decision to no longer move forward with using a Sanskrit word in the name of my trips, even though truth mm. and truthfulness is something that, you know, is it, it's still the, the, the cornerstone of what I do. Um, yeah. And, and you know, the, the, the practice of yoga and the eight limbs of yoga, as, as told to us in uh, Patanjali's uh, Yoga Sutras, they are for everyone. I just felt that in order for me to be more authentic in how I'm showing up and because I don't have, um, I, I can't, I don't have a, a relationship with the Sanskrit language that, uh, that allowed me to continue to feel like I'm showing up as authentically as I can. So I mm. decided to change the name of my trips. So now my trips are called legacy trips because that, that feels true to me as well. Dude, so that is so I cool. Say, that's why I say don't go get the tattoo of Satya. <laughs> yeah, and right. So nobody, so cancel your plans, everybody. You're yeah. not getting that tattoo now. Well, yeah. well, here's what I think is really cool about what you just said. It, it it sort of mirrors an experience that I had um, when I, my wife and I took a trip to Mexico. I'm not even sure if I shared this story before on the podcast. If I have, guys, I'm sorry. You have to hear it again. But I, <laughs> I, I went to the Mayan ruins and I was walking around out there and I was so enthralled by everything that I saw and everything I was hearing about Mayan culture um, and about how they viewed divine things. And, and even though that's not been something that's been a part of my tradition of faith and spirituality, when I was there, I thought, if I take this and either discount it or trivialize it by like trying to go back with some you know, new cool way of propping my image up, I dishonor an entire group of people, an entire culture. And I found in what you just said about, um, you know, that the Sanskrit language to be kind of the same idea that like you want to honor the dignity and the, the, the image of the divine in, in the people and in the cultures that you interact with. Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah, that is like, uh, it's so cool. So so to me then, when I hear you talking about truth, I know there's a lot of like, um, certainly from, from my faith tradition, which has been Christian, which is also yours, which, you know, in your background, which we'll get to in a moment, because I can't wait to hear you talk about that. Um, but it has been this idea and this wrestling with the idea of absolute truth. Mm. So do you have a thought or a, a strong, or even if not strong, but any sort of opinion or, or, or thoughts on the idea of absolute truth, since you have taken this pursuit of truth over the last uh, couple of years? <laughs> yeah. So we, 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 we ask, we ask small, we ask small questions on existential. Very so. small. It, you know, yeah. it's, funny. <laughs> it's funny because I, while I was so honored to be, for you to, you know, ask me to be on the podcast, I was joking uh, that I can't, I don't think I can be on the podcast. I can't even pronounce existential. Like, I have to stop <laughs> saying that. So I have um, really... Uh, gathered up and mustered up all of my strength and courage to have this existential conversation with you, Corey Lee. You know, so you know what? Truth. And, 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 and I think I can speak, I know I can speak for me and say, I am already 
thoroughly enjoying where your head's at and what you're seeing in the world. Um, yeah, and you know, the name, I've actually thought about the name a lot of times. You're not the first person to say that existential was challenging. So, you know, we'll, we'll see We'll see what happens. Who knows how long it's existential? <laughs> you might have a Satya moment where you say, let's change that. You know, I might, yeah. I might. Yeah, um, you know, truth for me is that my truth is mine. And in order for me to be a part of this, this global um, and, and collective uh, thing that we call humanity, I need mm. to be able to honor what truth is for me while at the same time honor and respect and accept what your truth is for you. Okay, so that was so freaking good that I want you to say it again because I like, I, oh my God, can you just say, say, can you start over and say all of that again, just so people can hear it twice? Sure. I have come to a place where I have adopted the, 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 and accepted that truth is mine. My truth is mine. It's for me. And in order for me to participate fully and joyfully and in a liberating way, uh, and as a part mm. of the global citizenship that is humanity. I have to also honor and respect and allow and accept that your truth is true for you. Wow. Okay. All right. So I want to park here because this is where people, especially people who have a religious background and, you know, go to church regularly or whatever, whatever space they go into for religious practice, this is where people get really nervous and twitchy. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about, or when you talk about allowing a person's truth to sit with them and be their truth, how, is there any caveat to that? Is there any sort of like um, safeguard for things that are, you know, violations of humanity, wh whether it's violence or even racism? Mm -hmm. Like for the white, for the white supremacists whose truth is that you and I are less than they are. Mm. How do we, and you may, and I'm not expecting you to have an answer for this. I mean, this, the, these are conversations that people have been having since the dawn of time, mm -hmm. but I just want to, I want to converse about it and see what comes out of it. Um, how, how do we handle truth conversations when we're talking about people who you and I would say your truth is harmful to me. How do, how do we manage that in our, in our, I love how you, you worded our sort of collective humanity. We're a part of this greater citizenship as, as human beings, but some of us are pretty crappy, I guess, at times <laughs> when it comes to our beliefs. Sure. I, I think that it has a lot to do with how connected we are to our own humanity. Um, and I believe that the more that I can um, embrace my humanity, the more I'm able to embrace the humanity of, of others. And that's mm -hmm. a process. I'll say that's mm -hmm. a process because I think about reading uh, Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements, and coming to the understanding that when we are brought into this world based on who our parents are, based on you know what's going what's going on in the times, um, all of these cultural and societal influences that we're born into, 
we unknowingly um, and blindly um, and even ignorantly as children, right, we don't have any choices, we adopt and we make certain agreements about the world, about ourselves mm. and about life, mm. right? Mm. So mm-hmm. for me, I have found that I get closer and closer to my own humanity the more that I am in this continual examination process. Mm. So no recognizing that I don't have to, I, I don't have to continue in my life with the agreements that I had when I was born and when I was raised. I believe that my parents did the best they could with what they had. Um, so there, there's a acknowledgement and, and a, a not blaming them and not putting, you know, not, not faulting them. Uh, mm-hmm. Just like I hope my children, <laughs> my three kids, don't fault me for doing mm-hmm. what I thought was best for them at the time with the information that I had to make decisions as their parent. Um, mm-hmm. But as mm-hmm. I am on my personal journey and on my own path, it's important to me that I keep coming back to a place of self-reflection. Um, and mm-hmm. that uh, that allows me to... Uh, let go of some of the agreements that I previously held and adopt new ones. So especially being someone who was raised in the church, this has been a hell of a process for me. It has been so uh, painful and, uh, and, and it's brought me a lot of, a lot of grief. Um, Mm. Yeah. So talk about that. Talk, talk. So, so you, you were, um, you are the 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 daughter of of pastors, or or just ape was your dad a pastor, mom a pastor? Who was who was a pastor? My father was a preacher, a pastor the majority of my life. Um, okay, and so I was raised a preacher's kid, and in the denomination where he preached, it was uh, the uh, and I. I I hesitate because I I don't feel a part of me feels like this is my family and my blood, but another mm-hmm. part is I I feel like the outcast. Um, mm-hmm. So I almost feel like I don't even have license to speak. <laughs> it's so it's bizarre oh, wow. or even talking. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't feel like I have the license to even speak the denomination. I feel I feel protective of it and of my family. Um, but at the same time, it, again, it is me, it is mine. And I'm going to, I think <laughs> if we're going to have a conversation about truth, <laughs> I, I get to speak my truth, right? You do. And you don't have to name the denomination. I, I understand the conflict you're talking about. I, I, not, not necessarily experientially all the way, although I have family that is probably not all the way on board with the way I, I now view the world. Um, they've not taken the same journey I've taken. And so I do understand that like, there's always this sort of connection, probably a primal connection we have to our bloodline and the people who, you know, we've been eating meals with and, and growing up with and our whole lives. I imagine that there's that real strong connection to them, while also another strong connection that maybe even pulls in an opposite direction that is the pursuit of the truth that I'm finding and experiencing within myself and what I'm seeing. So what I'm hearing you say is that like, that's, I hear that struggle in you saying, I don't even know if I can name the denomination because I don't know if I, if, if I'm, I'm not a part of it and I've kind of been moved out 
mm-hmm. while at the same time, those are my people. Is that kind of what you're saying when you, that, that you say is. that? I don't that okay. is absolutely. And I want to, I want to definitely clarify, see all of this protectiveness <laughs> is coming up in me. I, I, I haven't been removed. If I was to choose to go back, right. I, I think I would be, yeah. or go back into the church. I would be welcomed or whatever that even means. I, I, I think I, uh, I don't talk about this. So it feels, I have a lot coming up. So let me, let me, let me push through because it's not a, it's not a indictment on this denomination. Right. For but, sure. Um, I, we were, my family is a, a large part of the AME Zion denomination. Um, and when I say a large part, they, my family is very involved in the leadership of this denomination. And when I say leadership, just meaning my father was a minister as well as, uh, a presiding elder, my grandfather minister, as well as presiding elder. I currently have cousins who are ministers in uh, that denomination, as well as, Hmm. um, my uncle and my, um, godfather was the senior bishop of the entire denomination for many years and he's recently retired and like it's it's a whole thing it's a whole thing that i have respect for um but at the same time and i have tremendous respect for uh, the church the denomination and my family um Mm -hmm. and it was a very um foundational part of my upbringing and my childhood i just don't have any connection now Mm. so um, all that to say, that is uh, how I was raised in that church, and um, I also was raised in Christian private schools. And when I say Christian private schools, um, through elementary, yeah, they were uh, Pentecostal Assemblies of God uh, Christian private school. Um, so that was a big part of my my childhood and my upbringing. Tina, this is crazy because I grew up AME. My dad is AME pastor. And um, I'm going to let this siren pass by in case that's in the background. Or maybe I won't. I might leave it in. The police aren't coming for me, so it's it's probably, well, they could, I don't know. Anyway, we hope, we um, hope. I, <laughs> we hope not, right? Um, it's it's wild how similar our our stories are, you know, from me being at a, at a, a private Assembly of God school and my dad was an AME pastor. I mean, it's, it's crazy how, how similar our stories are. So, Tina, you came out of a traditional church background, um, having been part of the AME church. That seems to be a pretty traditional denomination. How, and earlier you mentioned having a wife. Your bio mentions you as a queer woman. How has that affected those two dynamics? affected your journey and where you are and who you are today? Yeah. So I will say that we were, I was out of the AME Zion denomination um, much earlier uh, than my adult life. So uh, that's a whole story okay. that I won't, it's, it's more so my, my father and my parents' story to tell. So I'll just say, we okay. were we were okay. basically out of the AME Zion uh, denomination by the time I was in high school, we'll say, and then I would go on to, of course, as I grew and became an adult and decided to, of course, have my own family and and 
uh, and what that looked like. The church was still very much a, a part of my early adulthood when I, I, I got married to my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. We had three children. And at that time, we actually were a part of a church. You may have heard of um, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship under Dr. Tony Evans. So I have, mm, okay, yeah. I have that, um, I don't know, that almost, almost, uh, almost two decades as a part of that congregation as well. So um, it, it has gone through my, my relationship with the church, my relationship with Christianity has gone through a few different iterations. Um, and to be honest, my being queer and my coming out as queer had not, that wasn't the, um, the first part of me stepping away from the church. Actually, the first part of me stepping away from the church was my, um, realization that I no longer believed in a hell. That was the first part for Mm. me. I, and I will Mm. never forget. And you tell me how deep you want to go into this. As deep as you want to go. Okay. I will never forget when I first began having questions about, wow, so there's this, you know, this loving God, almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, all of these things, but there is still this, this hell. Now, what I will also say, and you can relate to, I assume, based on your background within the church, and in particular with the Pentecostal denomination, that... Um, we were fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. And so I was raised that hell was a literal burning yep. lake of fire where non-believers, those who did not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, would be cast to be tortured for all of eternity. That yep. and, and that was that that was it was this real and literal place. It wasn't figurative, mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, it it was that's real. So I, I grew up with uh, basically the, the hellfire and brimstone uh, feeling that. And I threw myself into being a good Christian and proving mm. that I was worthy of the kingdom of heaven. And I threw myself into, um, you know, I remember we, we witnessed a lot. I don't know if that's a thing now, the witnessing or, or rather <laughs> We, used, we would go to apartment complexes. I remember this in particular. Not that we wouldn't go to just, yeah. I just remember we would go and witness on Saturday mornings and we would pass out tracks. And tracks, my mom would mm-hmm. have tracks in her purse. We were always passing out tracks and we always were so concerned because um, of the image that had been put in our minds of you don't want to have someone that you knew and loved die and stand before God, and God right. asked them, why should I let you into heaven? And them look at you and say, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> that- I, I, I heard that my whole life growing up. Now, let me ask you this. Did you guys pass out tracks instead of Halloween candy when uh, people came by? Absolutely. <laughs> and sometimes, and Corey, sometimes we got super innovative, and we would pass out tracks and candy. So, you know, uh, you know, I grew up watching, uh, oh God, this is taking me back. Uh, Thief in the night. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I was scared. I, you know, I watched Thief of the Night and I was terrified because I, and you know, this is as a child, this is a child's brain watching a Thief of the Night and they would show that people who didn't take the mark of the beast would get their heads cut off. Yep. And I remember as a kid seeing that they laid on their back instead of laying on their stomach and being so scared. I was, I don't even know that I was scared of getting my head cut off. It's just, I didn't want them to cut it off on the front. <laughs> I you know, that's that's what I remember from that. Just being super scared that like, oh, oh my God, this is going to happen one day. And they're going to they're going to cut my head off from me facing the, the blade. And, and that's that's what I remember from that movie. Yeah. So, you know, when 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 you are indoctrinated in this way from birth, that mm-hmm. tends to stay. That tends to stick with you. So all yeah. of that to say, uh, I um, that that was my first you know, coming to a place where I no longer felt like the church was a place for me. That was one place was hell. Another place was I basically began to expand my circle to include people that were not of the same faith that I was. So they were not Christians. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as I began to come to meet and get to know people of other faiths, I could not um, reconcile with the, I could not reconcile that they would not be welcomed into heaven because they did not believe in Jesus. I remember um, having a friend who was, um, Muslim and I remember I just admired her so much because her faith seemed to be genuinely from her heart her love for people seemed to be so, it was just infectious. And I was so impressed and moved by her love for me. Um, I, 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 I just, I believe that she is a, I won't go into, I, I just remember being like this woman who I remember we would get into the car before going anywhere and she would say a prayer. And I remember just feeling her, she was so genuine in her love for her God. And I just remember mm. not feeling it, feeling like I didn't even love my God as much as she loved her God. And then wow. being faced with the fact that, but wait, my God is the real God. And so that means her God is not the real God. But like in just this comparison and my brain could not, I, I couldn't reconcile that. And that was something yeah. else that just led me to say, I, I, I just don't, I don't think that there's a place called hell for her. I don't. I just don't. Mm. So that was the beginning of my leaving the Christian faith, because in the way that I understood Christianity, there was no room for these types of questions. There was no room for this type of um, critical analysis and dialogue. For sure. Yeah, there wasn't that kind of room in, in how I grew up in my faith either. And I still don't find that there's necessarily a ton of spaces where there's room to explore these kinds of conversations because Christians tend to police how people talk about God even more than the Bible polices how people talk about God. Because I don't actually, I don't view the scriptures as, as, as a tool that is policing how God is talked about, how God is to be thought of. Uh, it, it's I, I don't view it that way, but a lot of Christians, certainly, and a lot of fundamentalists, uh, certainly view it that way. And so it does not um, afford, re- relationships with folks like that don't afford you 
the opportunity or the gift to be able to explore things like hell and what is meant by it and and in even reconciling and and thinking through the existential part of it that is there are human beings who would according to this idea of hell that a lot of people hold to human beings because they are unable to believe what you believe will be tortured for all of consciously tortured for all of eternity that is the fact that you can't wrestle with that and talk about that and explore that and 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 have that exploration leads you to go i can't put that in my tool bag of belief it doesn't fit the fact that you can't do that in some spaces is just ludicrous to me now but i certainly understand how people have been there and are there now because it just it's the structure that was created and people just sort of live in that space right so it's, it's those agreements that they yeah. blindly accepted and continue to follow and uphold and perpetuate despite the tremendous damage that it does um to people and you know the church is supposed to be a place that loves people and and yet can I, I I didn't find that it was a place that allowed and accepted for me. It it didn't mm. fit. It just didn't fit. So I, I can then I'll kind of fast forward through that a little bit and then get to the because you did ask a question about my um, being. I, I am a queer woman. Uh, I am mm -hmm. married, and my wife is also a preacher's daughter. <laughs> So our wow. parents are really proud, uh, and I'm being completely <laughs> sarcastic. They are not. Um, <laughs> um, did they? Did 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 the parents come to the wedding? Well, number one, no. But number two, there was no wedding. But number three, no, okay. That like they there even if there was a wedding, they they would not have been there. Okay. So we were we were aware of that, um, and and she her family and I won't tell her story, but I will say that their denomination was different because this also relates to my story in the sense that she they are in the um, Seventh Day Adventist um, denomination. Mm, mm, now mm, I was okay. raised, and I joke with my wife about this from time to time. I t I tell her that their religion was a cult. Her denomination was a cult because that's what we were <laughs> And she's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Just trust me. I was raised. You're, the Seventh Day Adventists are a cult, so you're welcome." Yeah, because <laughs> they had church on Saturday. I mean, you can't have church on Saturday. All you know? so many reasons why I was taught that they were <laughs> a cult. So yeah, so you know, and that I guess to just answer and to kind of speak to that a little bit, you know, my my coming out uh, story and uh, is 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 interesting uh, in the sense that I believe that um, this has always been who I am in the sense of I've been different uh, and and my sexuality has always been different. I think that's the best way to describe it. Um, it's fair for me to say that, um, and I'll speak to, I was married to a man, to my ex-husband for 11 years, and mm -hmm. we had three children together, and I loved him. I loved him, and I do not feel like being in that marriage was um, uh, was not true to who I was at the time. Mm. Um, so I, mm. I have to, I have to say that because that's, that's, yeah. that's a true part of my path. I know everyone's got a different story, but I do, I do say that. Um, 
And it was after he and I got divorced uh, and it had nothing to do with my uh, sexual orientation. We just got to a place where we needed to not be married to each other anymore. And it was at that time that I decided that I would take the time, which I hadn't done before, to um, really, again, do this self-reflection and examination to figure out who I was and determine what it was that I wanted. And that is in every area of my life. Um, so mm. ultimately, where that led me to is um, I knew that I had always had a um, attraction to some women and that my relationships with women um, were um, so, um, how, do, how do I explain this? I came to the realization of who I was hmm. at that point. Um, and from then on, it was really a matter of just me deciding that I was going to be in relationship with, um, women because that was where I felt most myself. That was where I felt home. Wow. 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 Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Cause that is like, when you started sharing that portion of your story, I, I, I felt, um, some sort of genuine something i don't know what i felt on this end of the conversation but it was something real and it was like it was beautiful um to hear you tell your story and to walk through um where you were being married to a man and then um discovering things about that relationship in yourself and 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 i also love the fact that I, in listening to you talk you do not sound like a person who will demonize another person regardless of you know what they've done or said or what what position they take even if that position is over against you or what you believe and that's so refreshing to me you know to to have people who are active and moving in a direction to try and build a world that is just but also maintaining a sense of like humanity and grace and compassion for people. That's just, I, I hear that from you. And I just, I want to affirm that. And I want to like name that and just, and tell you, thank you for sharing that with, with all of us. And, I, and hope, hopefully we all heard that, mm. but that's what I hear when I'm hearing you speak. Well, I appreciate that. I have to say that that is because that's what was modeled for me. You know, when I was going through my discovery, my time of discovery, uh, my time, you know, looking back at my upbringing in the church as I was looking back and through my sexuality, I am really fortunate and grateful for so many people that were brought into my life at that time to hold space for me and who didn't judge me and who allowed me to come to my own conclusions, my own decisions about who I was and um, and, and the path that I was on. So I, I'm really, it really makes me happy that you hear that in me because that is definitely something that I set out to be intentional about. Um, and that is a direct result of the people that also influenced me and modeled that for me as well. So, yeah. So I have a, I have a question for you um, in regards to your activism um, and in this area of human sexuality, because one of the things that I see from black folks 
um, some black folks. I mean, obviously, we all know that no group of people or ethnicity is a monolith. But what I see from some black folks is that the the belief that homosexuality is in, introduced to the black community so that we don't procreate. I just read that yesterday. Hmm. And so I, I kind of want to explore where that comes from. And I want to hear what, how that strikes you um, as, as a queer woman, a queer black woman, um, to hear that that is an idea that, I, and I've seen it more than once, that that's an idea that sort of floats around out there. I want to make sure I understood you correctly. You you said that you read something that said that homosexuality was introduced to the black community so that we wouldn't procreate. That there's it's it, and it, let me let me say it better than I said it. It's it's more of where I've seen it specifically is more in the what what the term that I've seen used is um, gosh what's this term? It's mainly talking about black men. And that that there is this like concerted effort is the idea to like to introduce and I shouldn't say introduce is probably the, the worst way to say it, but to like make sure that black folks lean more and more towards homosexuality so that there's not procreation is what I've what I've seen people sort of, you know, putting out there as an idea. And it always strikes me strange and it always strikes me as something that's like okay, conspiracy theory, but it also, I also see some sort of like genuine place of belief that that springs from. And so I wanted to ask you again, you know, as a queer woman with a, the perspective, I don't have on that to say, to speak to how that sounds when you hear it. Sure. I, I think, and it's not something that I'm familiar with that concept. I'm not surprised to hear it though. It, it, it speaks to just oppression in general, as far as mm. we, it, it sounds very um, narcissistic to suggest that something mm. can be that, that, that human sexuality, uh, gender, um, um, orientation that these are things that can be placed upon mm. that it is that it that it is some external uh result or effect of environment and that just speaks to a, a tremendous ignorance of of, of human sexuality <laughs> and, and, and we 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 can't introduce and i and and i i recognize you, you know, wanting to clarify your use of the word introduce, but at the same time, mm -hmm. I can hear, I, I can hear that as a, um, a viewpoint that some people take, that they yeah. make this um, assumption that who we are or, or sexuality is something that can be put upon as opposed to mm -hmm. being something that comes from inside. It is, it is who we are. And, and this goes back to really what I said in the beginning, as far as truth, when we were talking about absolute truth, right? As mm -hmm. a part of mm -hmm. humanity, I think that it is only for us to identify with the human parts of ourselves, where we come to a place of awareness, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, where I can say, my truth is true for me, and your truth is true for you. And I don't have to impose or inflict my truth upon you and vice versa. So mm -hmm. I have to, I think we have to just 
if we're also talk, just speaking in terms of what is true about um, homosexuality, we have to understand that homosexuality um, is not something that was created or that is um, created outside of, um, it, it is who we are. It is, it is, yeah. it is yeah. not something that was created in a, a Petri dish and then injected <laughs> into, you know, and, and injected into the black community um, for oppression. So it is just an oppressive perspective um, because it denies the, the humanity. It denies the, the beauty uh, that is we are, um, we are who we are and we don't have the end. The, I, I don't, I can't answer all of the questions. And I, I really For hope sure. that I, I hope that in, you know, when I do my work and when I'm speaking that I don't come across as I know everything. I really am <laughs> trying to work on that. Right. <laughs> Um, no, you don't. Well, you you don't come across that. You come across very humble, like you're just you're just speaking, as you said, speaking your truth. Um, I, while you were talking, I thought I've always felt like speaking generally about black community that the black community wasn't great about making space for the homosexual community. Have you found that to be true in your experience, or is is that just something on my end that I'm I have? Seen. I have found that to be true in the black church. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, I, um, I am estranged from my father and, mm. uh, it's also fair to say he's no longer a, a preacher, uh, no longer a pastor, no longer involved in, um, organized religion. Um, I will say that, mm. um, mm -hmm. I will say he is <laughs> one of the I don't know what, what number we're at now. Are we at 10 black people who are um, Trump supporters? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I hope it's only 10, but these days, some of the stuff I hear, I just go, man, how, you know, but that's, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother a whole conversation. Other I, 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 yeah. I, what I will say is that he is of the conservative um, okay. world. Is he, he's a, is he a Fox News watcher? He is, is that... a Fox News watcher from what okay. I understand and, and remember of him, but he and I have, okay. have been out of relationship for the past two years. That has been his choice due to the fact that I, he believes that I'm living in sin and therefore mm. um, I, he can no longer be in fellowship and in relationship with me until I repent mm. of my, you know, uh, homosexual sinful lifestyle. Um, and then he can, you know, then be, have a relationship with me. So, um, I'm sorry, that Tina, say, that, that stuck. I, I appreciate that. You know, I'm, I, it, it is what it is and I'm working on that and with that and through that. And I have already forgiven him. So I will let your listeners know that as well. I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone to feel um, bad for me in that, that that is just mm. you know, what I am living with currently. All of that to say um, that his treatment of me is one extreme of what mm. I've experienced in my family and in the black church. Um, but I will say that that hasn't necessarily been the uh, way that everyone has treated me with regards to the black church and, and my family. And, but there is a variation, right? It's this spectrum. It's this um, I still, uh, I, I, I think, I think that the black church can do better. Let me say that. I, de I yeah. absolutely, it, it, to be fair, feel like the black church yeah. can do better when it comes to the way that 
they are loving or not loving the homosexual community. For sure. And, and I think, you know, it's one of the worst kept secrets in black church that, you know, there's a ton of artists and gospel singers who have been gay. Some, some I think have come out as gay. Um, you know, I, I think there's something that, you know, has always been there. There's, there's a tremendous amount of hypocrisy probably in all of us, but certainly I see it in that area in the black church where if someone is talented, then we will look the other way on certain issues and certain things. Um, but we're going to continue to publicly condemn certain behaviors and what quote unquote lifestyle choices, um, you know, which is just to me, just, you know, it's, it's, it's sad and it's unfortunate. And, and you, you're even helping me to, to not be overly critical and to sort of like, you know, step back and go, that's, that's the lane they're in. They're human beings. And, you know, we may, we don't have to move in the same lane. Sure. And I'll, and even just to speak to the artists, you know, and, and the, 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 the worship leaders and the, and, and when we see uh, tremendous talent and we make connections to them, you know, I, I remember, uh, hearing and ref hearing references to the homosexual the spirit of homosexuality like it's like it's a demon mm. that needs to be cast out <laughs> you know I, I even think that that narrative is subscribing to this stereotype which really serves as a scapegoat um to draw t attention away from the fact that it really i believe um it, it to be more all-encompassing, uh, not all-encompassing, to be more, um, uh, what is the word that I'm looking for? It, it was, it is not, uh, homosexuality is not um, relegated to artistic people in the church. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. it, it, it is something that I think when, when we talk about um people who have been hypocritical in the church that we find out later or at some point, um, it, it, it is, it has been designed to, you know, the, the attention on, you know, the, the, the worship leaders and the choir members and the organ, the pianists and the organists and, and these particularly musical and artistic individuals who are a part of the LGBT community. And that being this focus to, point away from the fact that it is something that is affecting others and it just, just mm. isn't something that we can point to. That's, that's the other pieces mm -hmm. is, is being careful mm. to not be caught up in uh, and, and misunderstanding. Um, you know, we all have feminine and uh, masculine energies in, in, in us. And so not mm -hmm. to necessarily subscribe to a person is, gay or um because of the way that they behave walk talk right um you know mm -hmm. that being something that the church the black church i can speak to is so hyper focused on but that not necessarily having anything to do with the fact that if that person may or may not be a part of the lgbt community i you mm -hmm. when you know you and i are going to meet soon i i am one of those people that don't appear from when you look at me i do not you, you do not look at me and think that i am queer I, that I'm a gay woman you you don't mm -hmm. people don't assume that I am married to a woman to the point where I have to I, I I offer it and I make sure that 
I say it this way. I let people know um, pretty quickly, if they don't already know, pretty quickly upon meeting me so that I, in a way, can protect myself um, and mm. let them know that this would not be, I am not the person that you're going to want to tell <laughs> your, your, uh, <laughs> your, your homophobic joke to. Oh, wow. And that, yeah. that is real. That is real because people don't look at me and, and, and know. There's not a way to know that I'm married to Dorian unless you know that I'm married to Dorian. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't look at yeah. me and tell, especially, and I've got three children and the way that I present, you know, uh, I, I am straight presenting. So and that, that, that there's a privilege there, but there's also a disadvantage um, because, um, yeah. You know, again, it opens me up to conversation and, and attack and an assumption that yeah, for sure. I need to be careful of yeah. So I mean, you know, what you're speaking to and and what I what I hear is what people often refer to as like the double minority, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and, and being and maybe triple being a black queer woman. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, so there's there's so much that I think can be stacked against you culturally. Um, this has been a fascinating story. Um, your life, who you are, what you've been through, the the myriad of experiences that you've had in and out of of religious space. What what are you up to now? What are you what are you doing now with your work, with your activism, with your health coaching, the trips that you take? What what what's what's new with you? And then tell us how people can stay in touch with you. Sure, sure. So I am officially retired from my fitness career. So, um, oh wow, yeah, yeah. I I am fully one hundred percent a anti racism educator and facilitator. Uh, I'm a coach. I'm a consultant. And um, things that I'm doing right now, number one, I lead the legacy trips. So those are those three-day anti-racism and yoga trips where we visit the lynching memorial and the legacy museum in Montgomery, Alabama. And we use some of the practices and philosophies of yoga as tools to dismantle racism. Uh, I also travel the country right now leading uh, documentary screenings and discussions of HBO's documentary called Mm. true justice brian stevenson's fight for equality so so good yeah yeah so the movie just mercy is out that recently was released in theaters um all over last week and that of course stars michael b jordan and jamie fox but the documentary is the actual life story of Brian. So it stars Brian Stevenson and it talks about his journey and his work uh, starting when he went to law school and taking us through uh, him founding the Equal Justice Initiative. And it really is a, uh, it goes, it's just a deeper look into Brian and his work in the criminal justice system, um, advocating for people who have been wrongfully convicted um, and children, um, in particular, people who are a part of the poor people and, and black and brown people who are serving life sentences or have been um, sent to death row. So that is a conversation that I travel to different places around the country to facilitate, uh, talking about 
um, truth and reconciliation and, and how we uh, can today make effect uh, change with regards to um, the, the, the racial bias in the criminal justice system, uh, the things, how, how can we show up um, against um, and do work to stop things like mass incarceration, money bail, yeah. police brutality, um, and things like this. So that's something else that I do. Um, and I've got a little podcast. You may have heard of it. Oh, you mentioned it earlier. <laughs> yeah, I have. But you mentioned it again. Yes, yes. So I'm also I, that also takes up uh, some of my time uh, that I've really enjoyed uh, coming alongside with uh, with Jen um, and being a part of uh, the Speaking of Racism podcast. So people can find me and follow me on. Uh, Instagram. You can find me at Tina underscore Strawn, and that's spelled S T R A W N as in Nancy underscore Life. Uh, people can also email me at Tina Life at gmail.com. And also, you can visit my website, which is LegacyTrips2020.com. All right. And we'll have all of that in show notes. Thank you so much for everything you shared with us. This was such a rich conversation, if for no one else, certainly for me. And I just really, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for who you are, and, and uh, we look forward to hearing more from you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Corey. You, you really made this enjoyable for me. I was a little nervous, but uh, it felt, <laughs> you, you put me at ease, so I appreciate you just even listening well, and sharing. So thank you. So I love conversations like that because... They are um, snapshots into the lives of people who have real experiences and that are awesome people. And I love Tina's journey. I love what she shared with us. I, yeah, this was one of those conversations that for me that was just like, yes, yes. And I had to like, for the sake of time, cut it short because I could have talked to Tina for another hour and a half. It was just so great. So thank you guys for listening. Thanks to Comfort Fit for the music. Thanks to all of the existential subscribers. Thanks for all of you who have shared, who have rated and reviewed this podcast. Thank you so much for all of that. And thank you for contending for a better world with us. One conversation at a time. <laughs>